Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. This is the Donaldson Files. Tom Donaldson here on the Tuesday edition. Uh, I am actually waiting for Coco Concha. I am not sure where she is. Is she going to be on bacon? Last time I checked, she had some phone issues, and she was at her Apple phone dealer. So who knows what's going to happen with her. But I do have seven or eight different stories I want to cover, plus uh, kind of exchange with a friend of the show, Lauren Bice, and we're going to basically uh, – uh, she gave some very serious, some challenges, which I'll discuss a little bit later in the show. And we're going to discuss those challenges next week. I mean, she's basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to have her put me on the spot. She you know, gave me a list of questions. How can you support this, this, and this? So we're going to go ahead, and I'm going to you know, accept her challenge on these issues. And we'll discuss more of those as the show continues. And we got uh, – there's a few things out here I want to talk about uh, story-wise, but I am going to begin with what I call the leadership aspect, what it means to be a leader and what it means not to be a leader. And I'm going to begin using an example. I don't know how many of you saw the Urban Myers video that went viral. Uh, went viral. Here, for those people that don't know, you know, Urban Myers was a successful college coach. But, you know, now he, you know, so the Jack Wires hired him, figured, okay, let's see if this guy can, you know, perform the magic he did at college into the professional ranks. It, interesting enough, interesting enough. Okay, so they're now 0-4. Uh, they may end up being 0-5. Uh, they lost a very close game. A game that they had the lead, they had a control. It was 14 and nothing at the end of the first half. Uh, they were like fourth and one. Urban Meyer says, let's wait for the jugular. Let's see if we get 21 uh, to nothing. And they didn't make it. They didn't make it. So, so basically, they didn't make it. So they didn't make it. And, and coming down in the second half, the Bengals just came out. Joe Burrow, who was having a horrible first half, Went back, had a pretty good second half. They won the game and defeated the uh, Jaguars 24-21. But, that's, but the rest of the story is this. There's, there was a video of Urban Myers having a lap dance in a bar in, in, in Ohio. Now, he stayed in Ohio. He's not with his family. He's not with his team. He's out there, and there's this lady grinding on him. Well, needless to say, you know, my first thought when I'm sitting there listening to this, you know, watching this, I said, okay, if Urban Myers was the head coach and one of his players spent a day after a close game that they lost getting a grind, you know, having some, you know, woman grinder in a bar and not, you know, I, I have a feeling that player would be disciplined, would be disciplined. 
Well, the thing that comes into play is this. You know, part of being a head coach is being professional, being the leader of the team. And when you have a young team and with a young rookie quarterback and you're trying to basically take them to another level, improve from what they did last year. Last year they were like 1-15. That's why they got Trevor Lawrence to begin with. Well, you were brought in to take the team to another level, not necessarily maybe be a winning team. Nobody ever said they were going to be a winner. But certainly you expected improvement. You expect to say better than one in 15. And you expect the coach to act in a professional manner. And he's gone off to a rough stop. But, uh, <clears throat> but brought in a strengthened coach. And for those people who don't know, I can't remember the gentleman's name. I can tell you the guy was at the University of Iowa where there were some reports of racism on, on the part of this guy. They fired the guy at Iowa. They hired the guy at Jacksonville Jaguar. You would think. That a coach who's hiring people would look into their past. They would look into their past. Well, that was strike number one. And then you go through the preseason. And But the thing here is this. They're all in four. And your head coach is getting a bump and a grind from some strange lady at a bar. And when it's all said and done, he doesn't show up like, you know, he didn't fly back with his team. You know, he missed a Monday meeting with his team. They canceled the Monday meeting so he wouldn't have to confront his team. And if you're sitting there as a Jaguar, your first thought is, what the, you'll fill in the blank. You know, you fill in the blank. Well, I'm going to make here with this story is, This, you know, is that Urban Myers basically committed a sin. That's it. You know, no leadership. The team's in the rough. You're sitting there playing the bump and grind with a strange lady while your team is in Jacksonville. You don't show up for a team meeting. And this is going viral all over the place. The first question I would think to myself is, you know, what are you doing by yourself in that in a compromised position to begin with. Two, why aren't you with your team? Three, why are you even doing this after your team has lost? And you can go on down the line, but there are a lot of at this point where the credibility of Urban Myers is slipping below to the depth of the Pacific Ocean at this point. I can't see how he's going to win back locker room. It's going to be very difficult. As one person said, you got to start winning games. you got to show that your philosophy is going to work. And so far, that philosophy hasn't worked. You had a close game that you should have won. You made a decision at the end of the game. And, you know, I'm not going to fault him for that decision going for it. Because he was going for the juggler. But the question might have been, well, you know, what if he gone for a field goal, got 17 to nothing? That's still... It's still, you know, a two-plus two score game where it basically has to score, you know, more than two scores to catch up. And I get, you know, so the question to me would be very simply put. I can't see Urban Myers standing, staying with the Jaguars. 
I think what's going to be, you know, this, this is more than just poor leadership. This would be disastrous leadership because you got a young team, you got a team that's trying to turn itself around, and they're watching their head coach doing the bump and grind. And he's not with them. He's not there planning for the next game. And he certainly, and and it certainly went viral all over the place. That, you know, his family didn't care for it. You know, his family's looking at this. His team's looking at this. And my view is very simple. Urban Myers has to go. I cannot see Urban Myers staying with the Jaguars after this. I think it's going to be very difficult for him to get back his locker room. Pure and simple. It's going to be very difficult because as a leader, people want to know, you know, do you have my back? What kind of example are you going to set? And if the example you're going to set is what you just saw, you're going to succeed. And part of being a coach is important. Hey, this is important. Discipline is important. Ethics is important. All of this matters. And what they see is a coach who, quite frankly, is not taking his job seriously. And it's hard to keep the faith when the leader of your team cannot take this seriously. This is Tom Donaldson here, The Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Yes, and also don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, you can advertise on this show and other shows on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Call in LABachelor40 at gmail.com. And the next segment will be brought to you by... Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms. And deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer, sports, offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Johnson Files. I'm still waiting around to see whether or not Coco is going to be able to join us. Uh, October was going to be the, the comeback of Coco Kosky. Where, uh, as I stated, she does have some uh, issues with her phone, so we've been trying to see if we can fix that. Uh, but also, you can listen to this show anytime. The Bachelor News, not airtime. Dot pro bachelor news air dot airtime dot pro uh, you, know, you can listen to this show we got plenty of great programming you can see and on this network here's the deal 
at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Every day this show is played, so you can listen to this show, listen to past episodes of the show, uh, whatever you missed. And we also have other great shows like You and the Law, Dr. The Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry, Locker Talk, uh, Emerging East with Keisha, and, of course, the Bachelor News Radio Show. BachelorNews.Airtime.Pro. And listen here to the Donaldson Files of the Bachelor News Radio Network. All right. All right. Okay. Now I'm going to say, how far can you go? Uh, how far can you go? Here's the thing. A rapper, and we're going to kind of discuss, okay, Keystone Cinema, the senator from Arizona, I mean, literally, she's had protesters in her face, and including following her into a public bathroom at the Arizona State University, following her where she teaches as an LJN professor, giving a lecture, filming her students. They showed up airports where she's flying back uh, to consider all of this. And, and, and it's, you know, it's kind of interesting to me because here's the thing that comes into play is there. is that cinema finds herself in a position where, you know, she's always had, I'm going to say, a leftist you know, leftist voting record. So she's certainly not a conservative, per se. But I also think that she is in a purple state. She has constituents that are slightly different than the rest of the country. She knows if she goes far to the left, it may cost her. And, and over the years, she's had... You know, Barry Coldwater, who's always been somewhat of a maverick, John McCain, somewhat of a maverick. And so this is a state that's had their share of, quote, unquote, mavericks. You know, people who basically didn't always do the party line and were perfectly willing to basically stand on their own whenever they believe, at least in their view. And she is basically adapting that particular persona. Other aspect is, and again, we're working on some polling data with Arizona, but we have polled enough data out there from various battleground states uh, on a wide variety of issues. And, and so I'm going to share some of that data here with you just to kind of give you an idea exactly, you know, what, uh, you know, the senator has to deal with, because here's the bottom line, you know, the party that she belongs to has moved, well, I'll use the word socialistic side of the equation. You know, they're, it's a socialist party, uh, to say the least. And, and they certainly have moved in a direction. And, and let me just try, and so basically, what is she, so you have to sit back and say to yourself, okay, where, where, you know, the, the loyalty lies. This, you know, how does this loyalty lie? Well, her loyalty, I'm going to say, obviously lies, you know, not, not just with the party, but she also has her constituents that she has to look at. She also has, uh, so, 
And let me just give you kind of – and so here's the thing. Let me just take it in this way, okay? The number one issue that we're finding almost across the board is, say, we're talking Georgia, Florida, Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, New Hampshire, Nevada, just uh, maybe a few of the states we've polled. And the number one issue is – the top issue is controlling inflation. Controlling inflation, the price of groceries, the price of cars, the price of gas is going up. You know, all of these things, and it's across the board. Let me just give you an example. It's just the state of Iowa. Even strong Democrats view this as an important issue. And I use the word very important. They six, you know, 70% of voters said very important, 18% somewhat important. That means nearly 90% of the population in that state. And this has been a number that's been consistent. So you've got the ask, which I'll deal with here in a second, uh, violent crime. And again, this is ranked as high. Uh, then you have other issues like border security, stopping the spread of COVID, new variants. There's a lot of issues out there that, okay, are important to voters. Now, the senator from Arizona has done two things. Number one, she's opposed, which I'll talk about very a little bit later, very briefly here, the Philip, you know, the elimination of the filibuster. And number two, she has questioned the spending of three point five trillion dollar a budget that, quite frankly, was written by Bernie Sanders. That's essentially a transformation in many ways with a lot of freebies and goodies and all kinds of things, expansion of government power mm-hmm. beyond anything we've ever seen in this country. Everything from a version of the Green New Deal to free colleges, you name it, the freebies are there. This was essentially written by Bernie Sanders, supported by Alexander Cortez, the socialist wing of the Democratic Party. I'm not even going to use the word left wing. of them. I'm going to use the socialist wing of the Democratic Party. Right? Inflation is becoming an issue. We've also asked in certain states, you know, government spending. And most of them view government spending as bad for the economy, increased government spending to the extent that we're seeing is bad for the economy. We've seen this in the past. But in this particular case, because people are looking at the price of life, you know, what they're going through, and we're looking at uh, price. And we're looking at, okay, is increased spending a fuel to add more inflation, the price of living, what they are right now? The average family, and I mean, we just did a study on this, and the average family has lost something like 1000 to $1,500 last month. In income. In other words, the rise of income was dwarfed by the rise of inflation. Family members are losing four figures, and they're complaining, and they're and they're and, and, the, and the senators putting looking at a bill, a 3.65 trillion additional dollars to the 1.1 trillion, and the trillion is already spent for COVID stimulus, COVID relief. 
And so you got the question is, as a U.S. senator, your president wants his bill, the $3.5 trillion. You don't want the bill. You want, you're wondering if this is the right bill at the right time. Stitchwitz is saying to you, we see a connection between increased spending in which the Federal Reserve will release monetary policy to allow this to occur, increase inflation, increase cost of living, whatever salary income we make. is dwarfed by the inflation dilemma. And the majority of these issues, she's also looking at border security. And for a lot of Arizonans, border security matters because of the influx of illegal immigrants coming into their state. And that's where they're going first. Where they go, you know. So the question and, and so this is the dilemma that a senator who's in a purple state is looking at. How far to the left can I go and keep my job in the future? And that's a dilemma. And that, by the way, is a difficult aspect because she may also be setting herself up for losing a primary. So this is where she's at. And Joe Manchin's in the same place. Now, Joe Manchin's even in a worse place because he's in a state that, Joe, that Donald Trump carried by 40 points. He knows very clearly he can only go so far if he wants a political future in West Virginia and keep a political future in West Virginia. He can only go so far before whatever chance he has of ever winning another office again. Exists. I mean, that's where he's at. He's in about as red of a state as you're going to get in the United States today. Cinema is in a state that, quite frankly, is purple. It's close. It's 50-50. It's a coin flip. And the question is, how far can she go to keep her job, serve her constituents? And so this is which now brings us to the most interesting point is how far does Joe Biden and his group and the Democrats push her? Because I was about to state, you know, we talk about civility. But civility begins when you start recognizing certain rules of the game of politics. We will so we're going to get back to this. It's Tom Dawson, Dawson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m. I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. 
Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Let's go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I, I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. And also, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, if you want to advertise on this show, call LA, simply send an email to labachelor. 40 at gmail.com. This particular segment is brought to you by Napa Know How. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa Know How, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa Know How. Napa Know How. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Max with Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, don't forget you can listen to this show on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Let me repeat that. The Bachelor News. And also don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, and we do have some great shows. The Bachelor News Radio Show, if you want a real discussion on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, uh, tune in to the Bachelor News Radio Show, uh, live every Monday and Thursday on this on this network, uh, 6, 8, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you miss the show, well, you can listen to this show anytime. Just look at our schedule at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. You're the law with Keith Humphrey and Virgil Green will follow us. It's a show featuring two chief, police chiefs with 60-plus years of, leak, of of law enforcement experience. The law is a new sh- is a show that has honest, open conversation by law enforcement and the relationship with black and brown community. Uh, so don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, listen to both of these shows here on the Bachelor News, uh, Bachelor News Radio Network. All right, now I'm going to go back to this aspect of the case. Now, here's the thing. All right, the past week, as I say, you know, there's a limit to me. I've always kind of felt like I've been in politics for about five decades, almost five decades. And I'm going to say to you, I'm going to say to you, uh, there are a lot of things that I've seen. There are a lot of lines that, let's say, the paths would never be crossed or be crossed. I mean, think of it this way. Part of this protest is actually getting in the face of representatives. It used to be a climate of place, okay, there was a place where you protest, a place where you uh, didn't protest. And one of the things is that you, you didn't go to people's homes, you didn't go to the place of work, you didn't dox them, you 
allowed them to go out to restaurants and eat without being harassed. And in this particular case, uh, Cinema was teaching. She was followed by people taking films of her in her class. And then they followed her and one of her students into the bathroom. They followed her into the bathroom. Then they followed her at the airport where she's flying back to D.C. I mean, we literally have, you know, know, this lady. And, of course, my question is, where is the security on this poor gal? Where is the security? And and the point of it, where is the security? And the point I would say to you is, I would be very honest with you. Following people into the restroom is not a good tactic. It's one of those, it should be off limits. It should be off limits. You know, like I said, we used to have rules. I mean, I would say to you, if you picked on a family member, like a politician's family, in particular, you know, know, children who were not adults or just teenagers, not necessarily involved, that was a no-no. Uh, you wouldn't go to their homes. You wouldn't, uh, you know, you wouldn't be yelling and screaming. But we've seen all of this. We have seen all of this. And the danger that comes into play is an escalation. We've seen that escalation over the past decade. We've seen, for example, in 2017, people may not remember this, but there was an attempt to assassinate Republicans at a baseball game. The only thing that saved lives was the fact that the D.C. police were there to protect them and basically got into a fire, you know, fight with, you know, a gun battle with the assassin. But still, people got wounded. Steve Selassie basically got, almost died, had to be in the hospital and to get his life saved. We nearly see a decapitation of a good portion of the Republicans. This was a Bernie bro, Bernie bro doing all of this stuff. Where did he get inspired to do this? You had politicians saying, get in the face of your opponents. Get in your face of your opponents. Don't give them any breaks. Don't give them any rest. Well, this only escalates. Rand Paul got it, you know, got broken ribs because a neighbor went decided he can go ahead and punch out a over a quote-unquote dispute. During the last election, he was surrounded by Atiba groups outside after the you know after Donald Trump gave his acceptance speech. Acceptance speech. And he was surrounded. And as he said himself, if it wasn't for the D.C. police being around, he wasn't sure if he wasn't going to be attacked in. We have seen literally riots over the past year with billions of dollars and and thousands and thousands of businesses destroyed. And and here we are once again looking at a situation where you have a U.S. senator literally being harassed at the place of her work where she's teaching with students who themselves are being filmed, their privacy being invaded, and her privacy going to bathrooms being invaded. 
And my view is this. If you want somebody to vote for your bill, this is certainly one tactic that I would be using. If I wanted somebody to support a bill, the last thing I'm going to be doing is harassing this individual to the extent that she's being harassed. The fact that she's shown the patience that she had, I'm just fascinated. I mean, she has shown enough patience that she hasn't lost her cool, but she's kind of made it very clear that, uh, you know, made it very clear that, you know, she doesn't, you know, that she's a book. I mean, that she doesn't like this, but she's been cool enough to at least keep her cool. But the thing that comes into play, and this is the point I'm going to make here, is this. Uh, is you know, the point I'm going to make to you is this. There should be a limit where what you can do. You should be limit. I mean, there should be some aspect of rules that you say to yourself, I'm not going that far. I'm not going that far. I'm not crossing that line. There's an element of privacy one should have, even as a politician and a leader. There are places you can protest. There are places that, and these are things that, let's say, would not have been tolerated decades ago. Wouldn't have been tolerated. And, and I do have a personal aspect of this because I, I've run campaigns, so mostly for PACs, but I have run campaigns. And I can tell you, my first campaign I ran, I was a campaign, was a congressional race in Missouri's 5th District. And the and we were behind by 30 points. It wasn't like we're going to win this thing. We were way, we were already behind. But just the last 72 hours of that campaign, candidate was running that campaign under a death threat. Now she didn't wasn't fearing the death threat. She kind of figured it was a crank, but still, we had private security. Many of us, myself included, were campaigning close to Nixon. We could easily, if there had been a targeted assassination, I certainly would have been involved, could have been possibly involved. And involved. And certainly so would my candidate. When you're at that point, and this was 1988 we're talking about. So I understand and I also understand what it takes on a family in a campaign, literally on a campaign, a family, where family members themselves have their privacy interfered. Certainly, you know, we had we ran the campaign mostly out of our house, and we had family members that really you know, found themselves with people like myself walking in and out of their house. Their privacy was pretty much invaded, and they understood Family members pay a price. People pay a price. And so, and when you're threatening people's lot, I mean, you're intimidating people. And this is what this is. This is intimidation. This is not about changing minds. This is about we know where you work. We know where you live. We know where you go to the bathroom. We know all of this. We can get you any place you want. The message is clear. The 
the message is clear. This is about intimidation. And the question that comes into play here, obviously, is that these are tactics that escalate. And we've seen those escalations already, politically escalations already. We've spent a full year plus with riots and just all in the name of social justice, in which the very people whose social justice was supposedly in the name of themselves found their own property destroyed. We've seen this escalation throughout the last several years. And we're going to see it again. And there's that line that you better start thinking about, folks. And if I was that senator, I would be telling my president, here's the middle finger. You want me to support this bill? You want me to support a compromise of the bills? You want to work with me? That's fine. This is the way you're going to treat a member of your own party. And remember, she's a Democrat that's being treated. This is not a Republican. This is a Democrat being treated this way. And it does leave the question, you know, what does a United States senator or a congressperson do? How far did they go? Because they, they represent a constituent, and they represent a political party. And the question that has to be asked is how far do you go? on that particular score. How far do you support the peop- the party versus your constituents? And is there a balance? This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me, I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. The media is exaggerating. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Napa know-how. 
Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Dawson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Unfortunately, it looks like uh, Coco is not going to be able to make it tonight. We were hoping to have the return of Coco. So hopefully next Tuesday we'll have the return of Coco. Tomorrow uh, we've got a couple of guests lined up. We have Kate Morgan who's going to join us. She's going to talk about redistricting in Texas and what's, you know, what she's learning about it. And we'll have a second guest in the second half hour of the show as well. So, uh, you know, stay tuned uh, for the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And don't forget, uh, uh, following this show, You in the Law with Keith Humphrey and Virgil Green. Uh, you in the Law is an honest conversation, open conversation by law enforcement, relationship with black and brown community. You can listen every night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, following this show. And don't forget, anytime during the BachelorNews.Airtime.Pro, if this show is on, as for our, our mild show, well, it is on 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Central Time, every day on the Pro, and also at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Central Time. So great shows coming up. Uh, we got some great shows that will be coming up next week. Uh, so can listen. Uh, like I say, Lauren Bice and I are going to have – I'm going to have her – uh, challenge me next week on the Donaldson News, on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. will be a special and very interesting show next week. So it will be a great show. Uh, and like I say, there will be a lot of misconceptions that have been shared by many on the left about us conservatives, but more importantly about myself, uh, will certainly be cleared up with uh, certainly – Will be hopefully cleared up, but we're going to, like I say, it'll be a fascinating show. All right. Now, like I said, I'm going to conclude this note with this: is there's a when do you do something? Because certainly, as Republicans, we've had our share of frustration with Elisa Moraski in Alaska, and Susan Collins for the years, and especially on the social certain issues, have been you know willing to challenge the Republican side of the equation. Uh, you know, John McCain was the famous maverick that every, you know, every, you know the media has favored Republican maverick. And so, and, and let me take this even a step further here, because here's the irony of irony is this. The Biden administration is at a crucial crossroad for whether or not there'll be a second, better yet, there'll be a first Kamala Harris term in 2024. As I've stated on this show numerous times, we had a recovery coming in to this, you know, to the Biden era. My administration inherited a recovery. They inherited a vaccine. They inherited one treatment by Lilly or the antibodies that could be used to treat the virus when you had breakthrough viruses or you had 
unvaccinated people getting sick. We have all of this sitting right there. We had a recovery, we had unemployment dropping, and it dropped more than one half from the 14.4% in April. If Joe Biden had done absolutely nothing and said, you know what, I'm going to let the economy heal and allow it to heal, told his fellow Democrats who were Get rid of your economic restrictions. I'm talking you, Governor Newsom. I'm talking you, Andrew Cuomo, uh, before he uh, was unceremoniously dumped. I'm talking to you, Dan Murphy in New Jersey. I'm talking to you, Pitzer in Illinois. If he had gone to those states, he'd be looking at a 4% unemployment, not 5.2%. We'd be looking at much higher growth than what we are seeing. We have had the grand, two grand experiments already. The first grand experiment that we had, the first grand experiment that we had, Democratic governors are run by Republicans, performed superiorly better. than the Democratic counterpart, with no, with very little statistical significant difference in, in uh, deaths per capita. We're talking 30% differential. Run by Democratic governors have had a significantly high unemployment number without any real benefit in saving lives. And so the question remains, why pursue a policy where you're not, you know, policy that can lead to stagflation and the end of your administration quickly when you, all you had to do was nothing? And the answer is, that's, you know, the answer is that the Democrats could not help themselves in this regard. Say what you want to say about Manchin. Say what you want to say about Sinema. The reality is they're essentially saving the Democratic Party in some way from themselves, or at least if they get attempting to. Because here's the aspect of inflation. Inflation is a monetary thing. We know that the feds have been pumping dollars into the system. It is a case of too much money chasing too few goods. And there's two parts to the inflation question. It's the monetary aspect. But that monetary also comes with something else. If you do not have productivity, if you're not producing goods and services to soak up that extra money that the feds are putting into the system, you get inflation. And when your economic plan is not, is not based on expanding the pie, but merely dividing the existing pie, you get inflation, but you get something else. That pie doesn't stay the same. Either you're going to expand it or you're going to decrease it. Why should you decrease it? You got another issue. Because you're not splitting, you're splitting a smaller pie in a quote unquote more equitable way. So, so the question 
And so here's the dilemma, again, and here's the interesting aspect comes to play. And this is the point I'm going to make to this audience here. To this audience. It is this. There are times in that you can only spend so much money. You can only print so much money before it bites you in the butt. If you're printing far more money than the goods and services being produced, you're going to see inflation. How does the Federal Reserve deal with inflation? Raising the interest rate, shrinking the value of a dollar, that, and that will lead or could possibly lead to a recession. Right now, you got stagflation. And essentially, people are seeing, they may see their income, They will see their income go up, but they're seeing the inflation erode what income they have. As I stated at the beginning of the show, the average family in the month of August has lost anywhere between $1,000 to $1,500, depending on the state that they live. $1,000 to fifteen in wealth. That's what they're losing. Question, and, and, and I guess and the question is, is that $3.5 trillion going to add to the inflationary pressure, lead to a recession, pretty much ending the Biden administration? Can any chance the Democrats have of keeping the House and the Senate, of keeping the House and the Senate? Great question. And this is a, this is a good question. In the case of Cinema, in the case of Manchin, they don't have to face re-election until 2024. But in Arizona, Mark Kelly got it. He's got to face the voters, facing the voters in a purple state in which inflation is going to be a significant issue. The economics is going to be a significant issue. And right now, it's not playing very well. You know, we've already done, like I say, right now I would say to you, mastered data. Hassan in New Hampshire are falling behind significantly the leading Republican candidates in the state. But the question that comes into play is where we go from here. All right, we got, uh, like I say, next week's show is going to be interesting because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to basically have Lauren Bice and I might invite another lefty to join the show. And I'm going to essentially have them challenge me. Uh, I mean, she basically has challenged my point of view. I mean, in a private conversation we've had, we've been having private conversations. And and without, you know, going into all the details. Uh, but, but the reality is many of the things she has told me privately are, are common misconceptions from my point of view. It's like she reads my timeline, so I know that she's got to know that, you know, that a, what she's saying, in effect, does it, is wrong. That they're, but we're going to challenge her. So I'm going to have her challenge, challenge me. I'm going to have her challenge me. Next talk, so it'll be next Wednesday, that show will begin. Tomorrow we got Kate Milligan coming on the air. We've got, uh, uh, and we may have Dr. Larry join me for a little bit. Before his show tomorrow, 
Next week we'll have Lauren Bice, maybe another individual Tuesday show we're still working on. Hopefully I'll have Coco Konski join me. She did kind of text me and say that the phone is out. Uh, she, uh, the last message I had before the show is that she, that, that the phone is still unworkable. That was like two hours ago, so I have no idea what's going on. But that's, um, uh, but that is the way it goes. So I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I should say the solo conversation I've had. Uh, but I'm now going to kind of take away from this. And and here's the thing. Tonight, the baseball playoffs begin. Uh, so we got baseball playoffs tonight. And I love baseball. And tonight, the Yankees and the Red Sox playoff. I mean, basically, the winner plays Tampa to move forward. The loser is out. This is a one and done type of deal. And interesting in baseball, unlike, let's say, or even is when you get a one and done, anything can happen. It's not like you have three or four games to figure out, you know, what to do, not to do. Because in normally in the normal series, it's like best four out of seven. Uh, so it's, if you lose a game, uh, you still have three other chance. You still have chances to get back in the game. Not tonight. Tonight, it's all about win or go home. The loser goes home. The winner continues. Tomorrow night, we have the Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals, who are red hot. I mean, they are red hot. They won something like 17 games in a row. They were, you know, you know, a month ago, they were looking at the outside looking into the playoffs. Nobody seriously thought they were going to be in the playoffs. Now they're sitting there taking on the Dodgers. So you have a hot Cardinal team versus a team that won 106 games. In normal situations, a team that wins 106 games don't tend to have to play their way into the next round. But when you're in a division where the team ahead of you won 107, now you've got everything on the line, and you got Clay Kershaw not available. I mean, they got a pretty talented roster. In many ways, they have the most talented roster. you got Mike Max Schweitzer, who in my view may be the best pitcher today in baseball. So you got him. You've got, you know, talent across the board. But in case of the Cardinals, you got a team that's peaking at the right time. Anything can happen. It's one game. Roll the dice. Let's see what happens. Yeah, so it's going to be a fascinating thing both tonight and tomorrow because you don't have any rooms for error. There's no room for error. And you're, this is like the seventh game of the World Series, only you're starting off with a seventh game scenario tonight for the Yankees and the Red Sox. And it's also in Fenway Park, which is the you know, Red Sox home park. So they have the advantage of the park. I, I like the Yankees myself. I like the Yankees myself. I think they're, you know, they, you know, like myself, but they came in, you know, they, but they had this thing. I mean, for the most part, they were, Two or three weeks ago, they were up in the driver's seat with the home field advantage. And at the end of this week, they went from having the home field advantage and a pretty an exceptional lead to they're the visiting team. 
playing in the Red Sox home field. You and the law is coming up uh, right after the show. This is Tom Donaldson here, but Donaldson Files of Action's Radio Network. Don't forget tomorrow we've got a great we're going to have a great show tomorrow, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. BachelorNews.airtime.pro. Listen to it anytime you want. Uh, 4 p.m. 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at BachelorNews.airtime.pro. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Tom Donaldson, and I am going to say good night. Breaking news tonight, federal prosecutors say that they're going to launch a criminal investigation of the white police officer who shot and killed this man, Kenneth Chamberlain Sr., an African-American retired Marine inside his own home last November. The federal investigation comes on the heels of a grand jury's decision not to indict the officer. The grand jury's ruling yesterday left many people shaking their heads and many others, including Chamberlain's family, demanding answers. What they want to know is why police officers in White Plains, New York, who were dispatched in the early hours of a November morning to help Mr. Chamberlain, ended up killing him. Just after 5 a.m., Vietnam vet Kenneth Chamberlain, a 68-year-old African-American man with a severe heart, sets off his medical alert device. Mr. Chamberlain, this is your help center for life aid. Do you need an ambulance, sir? The operator attempts to talk to him on a two-way speaker in his home. Mr. Chamberlain, I'm not getting a response. I'm going to notify someone to come by and help you now. Emergency personnel are dispatched to his apartment to check on him. By 5.30, White Plains police officers are the first to arrive. Chamberlain is now alert and sounds agitated. I have the White Plains Police Department banging on my door, and I did not call them, and I am not sick. Everything's all right, sir? No, it's not all right. I need help. The White Plains Police Department are banging on my Over the next 40 minutes, officers repeatedly try to get him to open the door. I'm okay. I need to see that you're okay. Others arrive, including medical personnel and Chamberlain's niece, who also lives in the building. I don't even think they cared about me because they didn't even acknowledge me. At 6.13, police turn on a taser, which records this video. Mr. Chamberlain, please. I can't leave without checking out. Police say he had a butcher's knife in his hand that he stuck through a crack in the door. Put the knife down and step away from the door. Now I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. Another officer is now standing outside a window in Chamberlain's first floor apartment. The district attorney has confirmed that in a section of the tape not given to CNN, an officer calls Mr. Chamberlain the N-word. <laughs> Meanwhile, police inside the building are using bolt cutters to get into Chamberlain's apartment. They believe he's used a chair to block the door. At 6.41, more than an hour after they arrived, police finally get Chamberlain's door open. They say he's waving a butcher's knife above his head, and they tase him. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
seconds later, they chase him again. At this point, police turn off the taser camera. This is the last image we have of Kenneth Chamberlain alive. Police say he continued to come at them with a knife, so they shot him with several beanbags from a shotgun. Police say when that didn't stop him, one officer fired his pistol twice. One bullet hit Chamberlain in the lung, killing him. At 7.09 a.m., just about two hours after a medical alert dispatcher calls to see if the former Marine is okay, Kenneth Chamberlain is pronounced dead. Hey, we want to welcome you to You and the Law podcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We are we just listening to a an audio recording uh, from CNN, courtesy of CNN. Uh, Keith, I want to let our listeners know when you hear November, want people. This didn't occur in November of 2020. This actually occurred November the 19th of 2011. Just listening to the audio clip, Keith, is, is just it's it's very disturbing. Just to listen to that, I'm gonna say maybe four minutes of an audio clip, but there is actually another uh, clip that that you can listen to the entirety of the encounter between police and Mr. Chamberlain. Um, and I want to let our listeners know what has come from this tragic uh, killing of, of Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. Keith is a movie that Morgan Freeman um, is a part of that has produced this movie and it's talking about the killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. And so tonight, Keith, we're going to be talking about what rights do police have enter into, as the phrase goes, and I hope I'm saying this right, Keith, a home is uh, a, a man's castle is his home. So it's, so we're going to, and I know we're going to have some listeners, Keith, who will who will be listening in the chat room, who will have a lot of different opinions. So we want to remind you that the chat room is open. Uh, we're, we're, we're live. Uh, and if you have any comments, uh, you're listening to the show, uh, the chat room is open at blogtalkradio.com backslash LA Bachelor. And if you would like to come on the air uh, and ask a question or speak to us about this comment, Please do so at 646-929-0130. But, Keith, um, very disturbing video, very disturbing audio to listen to. Virgil, and to the listeners, good evening uh, to everyone. Virgil, um, so when does calling the – when does asking for help uh, justify – well, let me just say this um, – well, and let's 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 remember, Keith. He didn't call for help. He actually had a you know one of those little life alerts that uh, that you know that, that people have, and so the life alert and, went off. And, and I get the, that. And, and, and I get yeah. I get that. And 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 we have to learn. There there are sometimes. Uh, we can't force people to go to the hospital, and I get it. I get the fact of a welfare check. I get that. This man is very clearly saying, "I don't want you in my house." Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, so we've got we've got a we've got a gentleman who we were going law enforcement, and I say we our industry 
were going, uh, got a call regarding his well-being. I get that. Um, but, you know, now this man is deceased. Um, you find out that there was the N-word said. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and, and even even if it wasn't racially related, even if it wasn't racially motivated, What's the purpose of the N word? Why would it so be? So you mean you got? Yeah. So, why would it be? You used? got so frustrated with this man. Why was the N word used? Now, yeah, there is a possibility that may have also enraged this gentleman. Um, but you know, my thing is, you know, when when does it? You know, when is it safe to call police? Uh, and 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 I know that we have officers to go out on welfare check. I, I will tell you when we get. I know we're getting ready to go on break, but when we come back, I will tell you that I that I think I know some of the concerns or some of the fears that that officers have. But at the same time, our citizens have fear, and, and they won't call us on certain things because they believe that um, you know something like this, maybe if not of this magnitude, if not of this um, with this ending. But there are those who who don't want to call us when they need help, uh, and and so you know this 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 operator or this med, Medicare med alert person was doing their job. I think the officers went there doing their job, but at some point this man is saying, "Don't come in. I don't need your help. Yeah. Don't come in." Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, and that's he, where that's where you have to think. Okay, what were the officers thinking? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, exactly. And and Keith, you know, I want to remind our listeners that if you're just now tuning into the show, we opened the show up by playing a audio clip courtesy of CNN that um, where we listened to the police having a conversation with with Mr. Chamberlain inside of his apartment where he refused to open up the door. Um, since this incident happened in uh, November the 19th in 2011, uh, Morgan Freeman has come out with a movie called uh, The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. Google it, search it, you'll find it. It's a great movie. Mr. Chamberlain's son, Mr. Chamberlain's son and family played a, a significant role in how this movie came about. Um, and so... Keith, I'll say this before we go to the break. Um, well, we're going to go to the break, but when I, we come out of this break, I, I've got several things to ask you, but uh, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Prevention works most effectively when people understand the risks and consequences, and the risks and consequences of inhalants is clear, but it's not well understood. It's frustrating because the danger comes from vapors found in a variety of very common household products that are legal, they're easy to get, they're laying around the home, it's easy for kids to buy them, and it's a problem. Kids and parents don't think of these products as dangerous because they were never meant to be used to be intoxicating, and yet that's what they're used for. When they're intentionally inhaled, they can cause serious harm and even death. Young people, parents, Physicians and others that influence youth need to be aware of this. So we're particularly pleased to have a partnership with the American Osteopathic Association, which is working hard to help us inform physicians to look out for these issues as well. SAMHSA has just released information that among 12-year-olds nationwide, alcohol is the only substance with higher use than inhalants. 
Inhalants exceed the rate of use of cigarettes, marijuana, hallucinogens, and any other drugs that 12-year-olds may be experimenting with. More 12-year-olds have used potentially lethal inhalants than have used marijuana, cocaine, and hallucinogens combined. So we're approaching 7% of our 12-year-olds in the country that are using glue, shoe polish, air freshener, hairspray, nail polish, paint solvents, gasoline, lighter fluid. These are everyday products with real life or death consequences. Welcome back to the Bachelor News Radio Show. Uh, sorry, the Bachelor News Radio Network with you and the law. The you and the law broadcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network. 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with uh, Chief Keith Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green, as they talk about uh, the killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. As uh, Chief Virgil Green mentioned that there will be a movie coming out with Morgan Freeman uh, connected to it. Guys, it, you know, a lot of people are saying that, uh, and I, I kind of agree, doesn't this speak to how um, when you look at the, uh, when you look at the, uh, he was bipolar, he had some issues that maybe perhaps they should have taken that into um, consideration? Well, you know, I'm going to say, L.A., uh, that I don't believe these officers, well, I know these officers did not fully understand Mr. Chamberlain's medical condition. Uh, the They received the call from this uh, life alert company, stating that Mr. Chamberlain had, they had got some type of an alert from him during the middle of the night. And so Mr. Chamberlain actually talked to this person and told this person that he was okay. Uh, But for whatever reason, they dispatched the police anyway, probably without informing them of his medical condition. Uh, And so one of the things that was not uh, discussed in that CNN audio clip, L.A. and our listeners, that Mr. Chamberlain's daughter lived in the same building. So at some point during this uh, 45 minutes to two hour, his daughter actually came to his apartment, and based on the information that she shared in another news story, the police basically ignored her, acted as if she wasn't even there. So they had the opportunity to have a family member go into the apartment or try to talk to Mr. Chamberlain, which this is his daughter, that she could have, you know, handled the situation better. So uh, I just don't think these officers, first of all, they, they didn't have his medical history and uh, you know you have to question yourself even if they knew that information would that have even mattered let me let me say this let, let, let me say this we're not armchair quarterback backing no we, we are just talking about the common sense of the response so you get a med alert the man say he's okay i get the fact that the operator was doing her job on the send someone out there anyway i get it um don't know if 
if if if paramedics came with the with police, don't know that. Um, I, I don't know if that's if that's the case. They but, came with the police you, later. Later, they, they, they were dispatched later. Uh, after, later, yeah. Okay, so so you you um, you get there. He's talking through the door. Um, he, at some point, he does stick the knife out the door. Uh, an hour later, you, you gain entry. The, the 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 question is, during that hour time before they gained initial entry. Um, as you said, what information did they try to obtain from the daughter or from the meddler company or whatever? Because the, the courts have said, number one, if a person, if you go out there and a person does not want to, in that situation, and we're not talking about someone who's non-responsive, so let me just say this. We're not talking about someone who has had a medical episode and, and it's unresponsive when they try to reach them by phone or by med alert, they're not responding. We're not talking about that. We, we understand. And, and the courts have said uh, that that's an exigent circumstance and you can up to force entry into that house to check on someone. So that's not even the issue. The issue becomes this man is being active. He's telling you he doesn't want to, talk to you. He doesn't want you in his house. He's okay. He's told the med alert person that that one hour there that they, that they continue to talk with this man, what information did they find out? Uh, like you said, uh, Hey, med alert, do you have a phone number for the daughter? Do you have a phone number for his doctor? Do you have a phone? I mean, that's, that's what this, uh, de-escalation techniques are. And that's what, you know, we are at a point now where we, we have the luxury of doing that because you're looking at this man, he's inside his apartment there's nothing against the law for someone to damage their inside apartment. There's nothing against the law for someone. And, and the question will come, was he an imminent threat to the officers? Because he was behind the doors with a chain. The officers could back off for distance. So it, it becomes that where was the, you know, the exigent circumstances for them to make entry inside that house. So I, I don't know. They've got to articulate that. We're, we're watching a video. Um, but, but I will tell you that that hour that that they were trying to get in this in this gentleman's house, Mr. Chamberlain's house, for whatever reason, you know, to talk with him or check his welfare, there's a lot of proactive things I believe that could have occurred. Well, Keith, and you know, definitely there's a lot of proactive things that that could have occurred, and and one of the things is that where you have to ask yourself where was the the de-escalation. There was more of an of an escalation. The, the escalation progressed. You know, on the door, he talks to them through the door. He tells them everything is fine. He didn't call them. He didn't even know that this life alert uh, company had called the police. So he is well aware of his surroundings. He's not, you know, he's not out of it. He he clearly knows that he did not call the police, and he doesn't need the police. And so, but for well, whatever know, reason, the police Virgil, let me continue. Say this. Let me say this. And, and, and the courts have also, this, this is a very um, uh, debated topic also. Uh, it comes down to those, you know, a barricaded person. Um, when a person barricades themselves in the home and 
there's no other person around, and, and they're not causing any imminent danger to anyone. They're not shooting out of the, wind, out of the window. They're not shooting inside the house. There's no other people inside the house. It's just them. Um, the courts have said that if that's all you have, we don't think that forced entry into that house justifies because you force entry into that home, and it escalates on behalf of this individual, then it comes back that the officers caused that elevation uh, of, of, of response from that individual. The courts have said just because someone is damaging their home or just because someone is mentally ill inside their home and they may be doing that. We're not talking about pointing a gun out the window shooting. We're not talking about that. question becomes, and, and you're going to hear this a lot, and L.A. has heard me say this over the years that I've been – on his shows, is it comes down to there is a there is a perception out there whether it's it's reality for some people, but there's a perception out there by law enforcement that you cannot leave that house or that residence without doing something, and if you do, there's a larger liability out there toward the officers or the department, and the department will not back an officer for doing their job. Now, this is the deal. Common sense has to kick in. You can articulate why you didn't go inside that house. You can articulate. There, I think there's a way. I think, I think we get caught up in the moment. Emotions get in, and we feel like we've got to go in that house. If we don't, he's not going to tell us we're there for a reason, and when we're there for a reason, we got to do something. We... I, th- I think that's that's what happens sometimes. We we don't we we don't. And, and my question also is, where was that supervisor? Was there a supervisor on scene? What are their protocols for that? Um, did they try to call? Them? I, I, I don't I don't know. Those are there are so many questions. But I think it just why not back away where it's not an exigent, where you're not in danger. Um, yeah, and and then try to talk. So I, I, those those are things you try not to arm to a quarterback. But man, it's a lot of unanswered questions and concerns that 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 I have related related to that. And I'm sure listeners have something, but you know, have some concerns about that. But the N word, really? The yeah. N-word. Well, wow. Yeah, which was which was totally uncalled for. And, and Keith, just like you you've mentioned. The Supreme Court has put some limits when police can enter in, enter into a home without a without a warrant. This this was not a warrant type of a situation. This, as you know, was they were responding to check the welfare of Mr. Chamberlain. They so how did the situation go from responding to a medical uh, call to now, no matter what, if you don't open up the door, we're going to forcibly come inside of your home because, once again, it's that authority figure that tells you, if I tell you to do something, you better do it. And if you don't do it, we're going to use whatever force that we that we need to use to enter into your home or your car. And so in this situation, repeatedly, you hear Mr. Chamberlain telling them he's fine, he doesn't need them, they need to leave. 
Even the daughter expressed that to the police while she was there, but they totally ignored her. So, Keith, and, and one of the things, like you said, when we opened the show up, the show up, Keith, we're not being armed. We're not being Monday morning quarterbacks on this situation, on this incident. Now, this happened in 2011. I asked before we went to the break, Keith. There are several things that have happened after this incident in 2011 that has gained so much national attention. Trayvon Martin in 2012, Michael Brown in 2014, Tamir Rice in 2014, the death of Art Eric Garner in 2014. All of these incidents, all of these things occurred where there was some type of public outcry because of what happened, which led to protest. Black Lives Matter didn't even exist in November of 2011. So this 2011 did not gain a lot of media and national media attention. But, Keith, we're coming up, and we're going to take uh, our break. But when we come back, we're going to get back into the topic of the killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Hi, I'm Amanda Pete. Like all new parents, my husband and I want what's best for our baby. When it was time for our daughter's immunizations, we wanted the facts. So we carefully researched vaccines. We spoke with doctors and other experts and asked some tough questions. We decided that vaccines were the best thing for our child. I urge you to get the facts. Learn the facts about vaccines so you can make the best health care decisions for your family. Thank you. A message from the American Academy of Pediatrics and VaccinateYourBaby.org. If you're an African-American man, you need to know about oral cancer. Oral cancer is more common in African-American men than in any other group in the U.S. If you have a sore or lump in your mouth that doesn't go away after two weeks, see a doctor or a dentist. Most often, these symptoms don't mean cancer, but it's important to get them checked. If you do have oral cancer, it can be treated more successfully if it's caught early. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. Chapel Hill, the CLM Richmond, Virginia, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment. Of course, you can look to the rebroadcast at thebachelornews.airtime.pro as you listen to it now. Uh, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Again, guys, um, I think um, going coming out of the last break, a lot of people are saying, you know, protocol and there were a lot of mistakes there. I think someone said that it was actually the niece that was there. I don't know if it was in the report it said niece or daughter, but that's irrelevant at, at, in, in the scheme of things. But a lot of people are saying the protocol, department, where's the protocol? Um, 
Uh, and I think, Keith Humphrey, uh, if you can answer that, because I think you hit it on the head, using common sense as a man, I mean, there's laws in place, as you said, the Supreme Court uh, put in place in terms of if people say, you know, their welfare, they're fine, they're fine, they're in their house, they're in their house. At some point, you can't be, you know, renegade cop or super cop or all that adrenaline going. At some point, you've got to use some common sense. And if you don't use the common sense, it shouldn't take long for video and all of the things, all the circumstances, in fact, that come out, guys, uh, to prosecute these guys. Well, I, I will tell you this. Uh, uh, every department should have policy on responding to uh, individuals who are in distress, or and that, that includes um, needing medical attention. Uh, and a lot of departments will have uh, – will mandate that, that medical personnel or fire personnel who are paramedics or EMTs accompany. And the law, the laws in many states, and I'm not surprised if it's not in all states, you can't make a person go seek medical treatment. Um, when you start dealing with someone who is in mental crisis, the laws are pretty clear cut throughout the uh, nation that if a person is a danger to himself or others, uh, you, you have a you can either release that person to someone who will be responsible for them, but you have to be able to articulate why they're a danger to themselves or others. Uh, if you can't articulate that, then you don't have the authority to put someone in emergency detention or take someone from their home. Uh, the, the questions I would ask L.A. and Virgil and to the listeners, uh, did they ask the niece, uh, would she be responsible for him? I kind of get it. If the man has a knife, um, you know, you kind of say, okay, is it comfortable leaving the niece here with this gentleman? But I think this was a medical alert. I think once you see the gentleman doesn't have any medical concerns, uh, I think you have to start thinking, okay, we may not need to go in that house, or we might just need to leave. Or, hey, call a supervisor over and ask if, if a supervisor wasn't there. But, you know, I get it that 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 you know it, it does it is concerning that this gentleman was putting a knife outside the door. The, the question was, the question still remains: Was he in crisis, mental crisis, and does he have a right to do that inside his house? Because the thing that gets me were those officers in exigent circumstances outside that door with the chain, where they have an opportunity to back away. That, that that's that's the biggest question. Or did they ele- escalate? his actions by forcing them way into the home, you know, continually talking to him, calling him the N-word, trying to gain entry into his house for over an hour. Did that agitate him more? Those are going to be the things well, Keith, that those are some additional questions that got answered. Well, Keith, and, and you're right. And I think what, what actually occurred was they continue to escalate the situation because he repeatedly told them that he did not need the police. He did not call the police. Even in even in the audio clip that we listened to, you heard one of the police officers say, "Well, you called us," and he clearly says, "No, I did not call you all." And he is clearly telling the life alert people he has a problem because of the White Plains Police Department is at his door. And he did not call them. He he did not need them. 
he wants them to leave. And so at what point, and then you have the fact that he displays a knife through the door. At what point before all of that happened? Hold on a second. But before all of that happened, why did they not just say, this man is fine, he is okay, we will leave? What happened? Why didn't that not occur? Go ahead, Ellen. And even with that, and, and just uh, uh, Chief Humphrey, you can follow up with, with, with what Chief Green is saying, but he, the opposite is, of that is he clearly uh, talked to, to 911. They clearly talked to him. Then all of a sudden something's fine. Isn't that a red flag that, okay, it was fine. Now he's he's screaming and hollering. Ain't that a sign of something not right? I mean, and, and to the sense that yeah. maybe he's got a medical condition. So now you want to bring in someone not with guns, but something else with the guns backed up. Of course, you got to have your police there. But now you want to take a different approach, not bang down the door and tase them and, and ultimately shoot them. It doesn't make any sense. Well, let me say this, well, L.A. I can tell you a lot of this is, is liability. Nobody wants to be sued these days, and, and officers think that if they don't do something, they're going to get in trouble. And, no, protocol is if you have someone who's agitated, you can't send medical personnel in there, especially with someone that has a weapon. You, you can't do that um, because now they're not equipped or they're not trained to address someone with a weapon. So, no. And, and you even have protocols where medical and fire department will not even go into a scene until it is secure. So that's that's not uncommon on that. Um, and that's where you have to be. That's that topic that's debated on a regular basis regarding um, non-law enforcement personnel versus law enforcement personnel engaging individuals who are in crisis, whether it's uh, – mental crisis or physical crisis, and that, that's a big concern. And, and, I, and I think that 98% of the time that there are those incidents where someone of a, of, in a profession of mental health could handle that situation without a direct uh, presence of police. But it's that 2% that you never know. It starts out calm. It's just like law, like police work. The majority of our calls are nonviolent. They're they're they are routine calls, basic calls for service. But it's that percent of those calls that turn violent, and so you have to have, and that's why you have police there for that reason. Now I go back and I say, the question's going to be, <laughs> did that man have a right to be in his home? And ask police not to get there, not not to not to come in. Did he have a right to tell them, "No, I don't need you. I'm okay." And I think even if they would have gotten there, but I'm telling you, I think what these officers were thinking in that situation that if if we got this medical call, we don't go in, we leave this situation, and some way somehow, this gentleman ends up dying or hurting someone else, we're in trouble because we did not do anything about it. And so they get to the point that we have to do something. And, and, but you don't have to call somebody the N-word. Uh, you, you don't have to spend an hour trying to get inside of a house uh, 
of a person who's telling you to leave. I mean, I think an hour kind of says, okay, he's getting agitated. He doesn't be to have any medical distress. We'll document that. We'll notify his family or the caretaker, and we'll leave. I, I think an hour trying to get in and things like that. I think that's where the problem becomes. So Keith, let me let me let me say this, and I want to I want our, our listeners to understand that Mr. Chamberlain on this night during the he was not having some type of mental health episode. He accidentally hit his alarm on the alert. The dispatchers prior to the police getting there spoke to Mr. Chamberlain, but for whatever reason, they sent the officers anyway. Now, Mr. Chamberlain was 68 years old, November the 11th of 2011. He is a retired Marine. Now, he has bipolar. So because he has bipolar, I don't want people to get the impression that he was having some kind of medical episode that the police needed to be there. So clearly when he told the, this life alert company that he did not, he was fine. He was alert. He wasn't incoherent. Uh, he talked to them. So this wasn't a situation where someone called 911. It was the life alert who alerted the police. But the main thing in this, Keith, is that Mr. Chamberlain was fully aware of what was going on around him. Now, he clearly became agitated when he did not need the police, and he clearly said he asked them repeatedly to leave. So at what point does the officers use common sense to say, we're communicating with this man. This man's daughter is actually here, which they actually totally ignored her presence. And this is according to a news interview that she gave. They totally ignored that she was there, the daughter. So this wasn't a situation where, hey, we need to get a hold of a family member to try to con- come here to try to calm him down. Clearly they had a family member there. They didn't utilize her, uh, and what they should – once Mr. Once this man says, hey, I'm fine, I don't need you, you can leave my apartment, leave and go home. Now, Keith, you mentioned something earlier about the liability. Officers are afraid, well, if something happens to him, now they're going to come back and say we didn't do our job. Okay, clearly this man is talking to you. What much more common sense – and, Keith, I'm going to – I'm going to put, take myself out of being the host of the show and put myself in just as a listener. If somebody's listening to this and they're going to say, well, damn, how, many more, how many more times do you need to tell the police not to do something, to, that you don't need their assistance? But, Keith, I, we're coming up and we're going to take a break, but I want to share with you and our listeners a similar incident occurred between a husband and a wife that made it all the way up to the Supreme Court, but they were white and this man was black. So the question is, does race play a role in how police respond and how they react once they determine, you look like us, this other person does not look like us, so we don't, we're going to do whatever we want to do. 
how how much of that plays into officers' decision making uh, because of an incident with similar uh, a wife called the police and said she needed the police. But Keith, we're going to take this break and we're going to come back. We're going to get back into the topic of the killing of Kenner Chamberlain. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Welfare check. Open this door. You're not coming to my home. Help me. Help me. I need help. Hey, we want to welcome you back to You and the Law broadcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, where if you're just now tuning into the show, uh, the topic of the show is killing of Kenner Chamberlain. Uh, Mr. Chamberlain was killed inside of his apartment uh, November the uh, 11th of 2011. We're coming up on uh, almost a decade ago when this incident happened. Uh, You might ask yourself why we're talking about something that happened almost a decade ago. Well, recently, uh, Morgan Freeman, who is the producer, has uh, come out with, uh, will be coming out with a movie called The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. And this movie, uh, Keith, um, listening to Morgan Freeman talk about uh, this movie, how passionate he was to put together a cast uh, to portray the the true this true story that took place uh, with uh, Kenneth Chamberlain, and so before the break, Keith, I had mentioned an incident that had occurred between a husband and a wife, where there was some type of domestic going on between the both of them. The husband had not physically you know, assaulted the wife, but the wife, she just, she called 911. So the police responds to the home. Uh, They are not let in by the husband or the wife, but they gain entry. They use force to gain entry into the home. They ended up arresting the husband, and he was charged with resisting arrest and some other things, Keith. The uh, the husband asked the question about what authority does the police have to enter into my home? Well, the the lower court uh, ended up finding that he was guilty, so this went to the appeals court. The appeals court also uh, stood by the ruling. Court it gets up to the to, I believe, another circuit court. Well, that circuit court reviews it and determines that that court made an error because the police did not have exigent circumstances to go inside of the home and to eventually arrest this man. But the the point that I made before the break, Keith, was that this was a white couple. Mr. Chamberlain is black. And I just asked the question because I, I'm pretty sure some of our listeners out there will probably ask the same thing. What role does race play in this? And, you know, Keith, we, 
we we we're all we this show is about being open and, and transparent. Um, and you have to ask yourself. And I don't want people to say, Well, here you go, you're putting the race card in. Well, here's a situation where a husband and a wife, uh, who were white, husband didn't get shot, he's fine. Here's a situation where a black man who is a military veteran, who is a Marine, retired Marine, um, but he ends up dead inside of his apartment, all because, Keith, he accidentally hit his life alert during the middle of the night. So he woke up stunned as to what's going on. But he, he's not having a mental health uh, episode. You know what, Virgil? Um, hold, let me make sure I'm not muted. Okay, Virgil, let me oh, you say know. this. You, 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 you hope race doesn't play a role in it. That's, we always hope that. And, and I think there's a, a, a majority of these incidents that it doesn't. But the N-word was used. The but N-word the N-word was, was clear. Yeah. The, yeah. The N-word was used. Um, now, I'm going to say this, Keith. Let, let me say this. Let me say this real quick. So the N-word was used. They, just because of the building that he stayed in, they just assumed that Mr. Morgan was a, I mean, Mr. Chamberlain, was a black man. They had no picture of, of Mr. Chamberlain, but this one officer hauls off and says, hey, Ian, open up the door. Now, now you get, now, let me say this. Uh, they could have had information in the call notes that he was black. But you got me, you got to look at That's it that way. And what that, I'm saying is, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying they you gotta take you gotta give benefit of the doubt that they may have been provided that information that this is a 68 year old black male to provide descriptions of this gentleman to the officer so when they contact him they would have an idea who he is. Not justifying anything. I'm just saying that's a possibility of how they knew he, you know he was black. But at the same time, if that's not the case, <laughs> you're right. How do you how do you assume? Because I've seen what you believe a predominantly minority um, housing, and you know that you have Caucasians living there. And I've heard officers say in my career, "You don't look like you live here. Why are you living here?" And, and exactly. So, and so you know, I mean, so you you hope that that's not the case, and that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. We hope that's not the case, but. Yeah, man. We, well, well, you know. and, and you and you know, and I'm gonna say this, and I think this is something that you know you really have to listen to multiple audio clips of this incident that occurred in 2011. Would it surprise you, Keith, to know that there was a black police officer there present? I mean, no, it wouldn't surprise me. And so the, the now with a black officer present, at, at what point, you, you know, Keith, and, and, and I'm going to really step out here to the right, not to the left, but to the right, and say at what point does a black police officer stand up to a white police officer and say, listen, man, this is not how we conduct ourselves. 
instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because that might be my sergeant or he just may have seniority over me. But in your gut, you know what he is saying and what he is doing is clearly wrong, but you don't want to make any waves. But at what point do you have to just stand up and be a man, not just in the uniform, but be the man in the uniform and say, listen, listen, dude, we're not going to do this. This man has clearly told us he is fine. Let's leave. It it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter what race that officer is to stand up and they have a duty to intervene. So it, would, it, would, it wouldn't matter if they were white, Hispanic, no, Asian. Somebody, somebody there had a right to intervene. And it comes yeah. down to that emotional intelligence part where you're saying, listen, man, you're getting agitated. Let me try to talk to him. Yeah. Hey, man, this man doesn't want us here. Let's see what we can find out from his family. Is there a need to be here? Because if you go back mm-hmm. and listen at that, if you go back and listen to that audio, the initial contact with MetAlert to him, I, 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 I think she said the patient isn't answering. Um, he's, he's non-responsive, uh, unresponsive, non-responsive. Make sure I get the, whichever way is supposed to be the right way. I'll say both words. Mm-hmm. But I think it's in, unresponsive. Um, I get it. You got somebody who's unresponsive. You got an emergency. I, I, I get putting the officers out there. But once they make contact with the person, I think that changes a whole different dynamics of the way they respond. Uh, and, yeah, it, it's not common for somebody to, to stick a knife, but was he in a, was he in a mental uh, crisis? Um, you know, what was, what was going on? Uh, and I'll say this again, could they have backed off to a point where they would not have been in imminent danger to that knife, uh, that that. Um, uh, duty to intervene, that de-escalation, uh, you know, where did, where did that, I'm, I'm just going by this, an hour trying to get in this gentleman's house. I, I just want to, I just want to know what was, what was said. I, I, I just want to know what was said, what actions were taken to, to get additional information to determine if they could leave. Well, and Keith, let me let me share this another piece of information about this here. And and I don't know, you know, what the history of the White Plains Police Department is, which is in New Jersey, has with the black community. Now, Mr. Chamberlain's son, Chamberlain Jr., had after this incident occurred, had learned that the Life Aid Monitoring company had suggested to the police that they call the son. Police actually refused to do so. So here's a situation we go back to asking ourselves, why did, where was the de-escalation? And it appears that this whole situation, it was, it started out with when they, when Mr. Chamberlain refused to open up the door to talk to them to let them inside, they continue the the escalation of this situation. But when when the police refuse to call the son, that you have to really question what was these officers' motive, their intent, because you're you're being told by the life aide who calls your nine one one and and suggests that 
you call the the son, which they've got his contact information, but they refuse, Keith? Uh, that's going to be a question they're going to have to answer, man. And so that's going to be a question even, they're going to have to answer. And so, but this happened almost a decade ago, and 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 the. You know, we're coming up on the, the last minutes of the show, Keith, and, and we want to r- remind our listeners that, you know, if you miss any parts of this live broadcast, uh, to listen to the rebroadcast of the show, go to uh, blogtalkradio.com backslash L.A. Bachelor. Well, no, I'm putting out the wrong information, Keith. It's the bachelornews.airtime.pro. It's the bachelornews.airtime.pro to listen to the rebroadcast of this show. Because it is a great, it is a topic, and there's a movie coming out about the killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. But even during the course of this event, Keith, one of Mr. One of the, the uh, Mr. Chamberlain's sons, one of the cousins, approaches the officers and tries to explain that uh, her uncle's behavior and that he has a heart condition. But, again, the officers cut her off. So you've got officers refusing to contact the son. Then you've got officers who have made contact that the family members are trying to make contact with them to let them know that he has a heart condition. This is why he has this life monitoring system. But they cut a family member off. And so – And I think about this movie, Keith, one of the things that I think people will be, uh, when you, if you get a chance to watch this movie, just the, uh, how much truth is in this movie. This isn't something that has been dramatized, Keith. It's been a movie that has really touched Morgan Freeman, uh, which has led him also, Keith, and I shared this with you earlier, he has uh, donated over uh, over $500,000 to Ole Miss University to him and another professor there to start up a, a, a criminal justice uh, program where they're going to teach police reform because, in his words, since the death of, of, of uh, Kenneth Chamberlain, look how many other unarmed black men and black women have been killed. And so, and another thing, Keith, had this happened in 2011, when did former President Barack Obama's uh, 21st Century Community Policing come out? Uh, 2015. 2015. 2015, yeah. Yeah. And so, Keith, we, you know, I mentioned prior that, you know, we've had the – You've had the death of Eric Garner. You've had the death of Tamir Rice. You've had the death of Michael Brown. You've had the death of Breonna Taylor. You had the death of George Floyd. At what point do police understand that you have a role to protect and serve? And on this November the 11th of 2011, they were not protecting and serving. They ended up killing this man inside of his apartment, now, these officers, the, the grand jury found that, that they were not uh, guilty of any charges, so there wasn't any charges brought up against the officers because they, you know, he, he had a knife and 
he refused to let us in. But Keith, you know, again, there are so many other stories like this here that we are not aware of. I wasn't aware of this, Keith, until I got till I saw a uh, a news deal with Morgan Freeman talking about this movie. And that's what got me interested in discovering more about uh, Kenneth Chamberlain and the, the killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. So, uh, but Keith. You know, I think there there has to be a better way for police officers to understand that your role is to protect and serve. If somebody doesn't need your service, if they are, are sound mind and body, what's wrong with uh, with just walking away and not taking a man's life? Yeah, and, and I want to share with the audience. I, I don't I don't think their intentions were to go over there and and and, and kill. Mr. Chamberlain, I don't think that their intentions were that, but I, I do think that it escalated to the point that they did have to utilize force, and I think they contributed to that escalation. Um, you know, I think just the the, the words they said, the, the basically telling them, we're coming in, we're coming in. And if this gentleman is, is has some uh, uh, confirmed mental illness, uh, we talk about bipolar well, no, disorder. I would, I would, you know, again, I, I think when we use the word confirm your illness, bipolar, I think if you look, again, I, he wasn't having a, a mental health episode that night. He was just no, 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 no. What, what accidentally. Saying, okay. I, I get it. But, what, no, what I'm saying is did the, did the response and the encounter exacerbate his mental illness if he was bipolar? That's what I'm saying. Did did it did mm-hmm. it get to the point of where had he been off his medication? Was it one of those situations where that with the whole incident did it throw him into crisis? I, I don't know, but but I will yeah. I will tell you that those are questions that have to be answered. Yeah. Well, hey Keith, we're coming up on the last minutes of the show. It's been a, a great topic, brother. Uh, hopefully, our listeners, you know. Uh, were, you know, enlightened by the topic that we talked about, the the killing of Kenneth Chamberlain, and definitely check out the movie with Morgan Freeman that's going to be coming out. Uh, but you got to ask yourself, well, I'm, I'm going to make this comment before we leave. The, the killing of Kenneth Chamberlain shines a light on the racial injustice. Uh, and so, you know, how does this, is this a teaching moment for law enforcement to learn? But, Keith, we're going to uh, – Come back together next week and do another episode of You and the Law. But we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in and listening to the show. But tune in next week for another episode of You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.